coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. I think taking action is the hardest thing for people, whether they want to quit smoking, whether they want to take a new career path, whether they want to get healthier, whatever it is, actually doing it is really hard. And that for me was never hard. Like I was always on the move, even when I didn't know where I was going in terms of the short-term understanding, the long-term direction of where I saw myself going. I was always heading towards the horizon and not looking down. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 43. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Billy Mann. Billy Mann is a Grammy-nominated songwriter, record producer, creative executive, and philanthropist. Over a 25-year period, Billy has built his career from Philadelphia street musician to writing and producing some of the most influential recording artists in modern music to entrepreneur and music executive. In the process, he has written songs and and or produced records for or with an array of artists, including Pink, John Legend, One Direction, Carol King, Cheryl Crow, Martina McBride, Celine Dion, Cher, Kelly Rowland, and Sting, among others. What a list. Since penning his first top 10 hit in 1995, Mann has racked up several top 40 hits around the world with cumulative album sales of over 120 million. He was the youngest executive at board level of a multinational music company in EMI, where he also served as chief creative officer and president of A&R Management Global. He was also appointed as president of BMG North America before founding his own portfolio of rights management companies under the banner of Mancom Creative Partners based here in the U.S. Billy, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. You know, normally, normally, in all honesty, I don't read such a lengthy bio, but I felt like, what could I take out? This is unbelievable. There's just so much here. You and I have had the pleasure. We have been introduced by a common friend, and I've gotten to know you just a little bit. I'm delighted beyond that we're having this conversation today, and I certainly look Thank forward you. to getting to know you better and to pick your brain so that all of us, me, Lead to Succeed Nation, anyone listening to this recording, will have the benefit of learning from you and uh, and really appreciating your journey so far. So let's start right there. Tell me a little bit. You talked about starting as a street musician in Philadelphia. You've done a ton of things since. Tell me a little bit of how you got started. Well, first, thanks for having me. I think any chance I get to share a very unique experience that I've had with other people, I, I want to take it. I got started growing up in Philadelphia. My family was a very creative family academic family, not a well-to-do family, but um, very creative and everything creative was encouraged, which was great. I was the youngest of three. And I think my passion for music was really born from seeing my siblings who are creative. Um, my sister writes poetry and she used to sing. And I love my sister. She's not the greatest singer, but <laughs> she was into it. My brother's a musician, still a musician and a working musician. And I was around it, but I really found in a way adhering to the school programs and the learning scales and those exercises 
I did it, but I really enjoyed inventing my own music, my own songs, my own scales, I guess you could say. And from there, I, I just, I had an insatiable appetite for every instrument I could get my hands on, everything I could sing. And, and I think like most people who really get the best success, I, I'm passionate about what I do. And I think learning that you can marry that passion with your paycheck started really young for me. Beautiful. You know, there are a couple of things already in what you shared that I think is fascinating. But one of them that comes to mind is uh, Jim Rohn is well known as saying, I think others have said it as well, that you are the cumulative result of the five people that you hang out with the most. In other words, mm. the more that you surround yourself with certain people, whoever they are, for good or for bad, ultimately that's mm. going to have a significant influence and impact on you. So it sounds to me that you benefited a lot by having siblings, I don't know about your parents, but your siblings for sure, that were creative and specifically gave you what to think about and, and, and sort of started you on your journey in the creative sense and in music and whatnot. And so it kind of speaks to the idea, I think, that wherever we want to go in life, it's really important that we surround ourselves with good people and people who are like, yeah. not, not fully like-minded because you want pushback, you want diversity, you want different ideas, but nonetheless to be in a space where that kind of direction will be appreciated and give you the, 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 the fruitful uh, environment in which to flourish. Mm -hmm. It's very true. I, and, and by the way, that has, I would speak to this throughout the duration of my career that I, my relationships are really long relationships. The people in my life, in my work life, my my lawyers, my finance people, the creative partners I have, the artists that I, I work with, the songwriters, the producers, I really, I pride myself on the longevity of those relationships. So it's not just the five people you hang with. I think that represents the ecosystem that can help propel you forward, but more the the collection of people that you accrue over the course of your career and time. And I think it's never too early to start with a, a very strong quality filter. Nice. At least if you can help it. So one thing you didn't really, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm hearing that I, you know, Billy Mann's on the conversation and he's been so successful and he started with very humble beginnings. You know, you talked about not necessarily having a lot financially, but you had a dream and you had an environment. How did you manage to begin to bridge yourself from somebody who had potential to somebody who was recognized as a household name by many as somebody who's really, quote unquote, made it in the music industry? How did that happen for you? I mean, it goes back to great advertising campaigns. I would say like Nike's Just Do It is one. I think taking action is the hardest thing for people, whether they want to quit smoking, whether they want to take a new career path, whether they want to get healthier, whatever it is, actually doing it is really hard. And that for me was never hard. Like I was always on the move, even when I didn't know where I was going in terms of the, the short-term understanding, the long-term direction of where I saw myself going. I was always heading towards the horizon and not looking down. There was a uh, Carl Schramm, who's the, uh, was the president of the Kaufman Institute. He and I spoke at an Endeavor conference in Mexico City a few years ago, and we became friends. And he recently wrote a book called Burn the Business Plan, which I, I would tell people to read. And there's a story in, that he about, about me in his book where, and I have to say, I love him, although some of the facts in the book were a little bit like, I called him after and I'm like, Carl, um, can we talk about this? But um, 
But generally, there's a story. Where I, I had been living in my car. I was renting a place in Bernal Heights in San Francisco near the Mission, which at the time, right now, is like a, an amazing uh, area, but at the time was really, really, really bad. And I was about to get thrown out of this house that I had a walk-in closet that I had rented. And I had to figure out how to make the money in a couple of days. And I went to Fisherman's Wharf and to learn my way around street busking. And I'd always done it, but I had an inflated view of what I was going to earn. And on my first day, I earned like less than 20 bucks and had a panic attack. I had another, I only had a day and a half more to make my rent. And then I slept over that night in the park. And in the morning, I started playing again. I managed a coffee and I saw a young couple walk up to me and they had shiny wedding bands on. And uh, it was early in the morning and San Francisco's a honeymoon spot. And uh, I was playing American Pie, I think, and they stopped. There wasn't a lot to do. And, uh, and then I asked them, oh, where are you from? And they had said they had just got married and they were really nice. So I said, look, I, I, how about this? You guys seem really great. What if I write a song about how you met in five minutes or less for $5? And if you don't like the song, you don't have to give me anything. I'll just, just let me try. So they were game for it. And I took out my, I had like a song book that was just like an empty journal, very thick. And I just wrote, and they would tell me how they met. And I wrote every rhyming word I could think of while they were telling to me, I would write down and figure out, figure it out on the fly. And I wrote this song and I kept it very basic, but I sang my heart out and tried to tell their story. And at the end, they gave me 20 bucks. And I was like, I, you know, the two things that happened, one was I thought, wow, I just, I can do this. Like, I'm going to be okay. It was a very settling moment for me. Like, uh, you know, on a business level, you can look at it as the monetization of content on a survival. It was like, I'm going to make my rent. And then the postscript to that is, you know, the next couple that walked towards me, the first thing I said was, hi, you guys look like you're in love. How'd you guys meet? At which point I made hundreds of dollars that day. There's your business plan right there. And, um, and that's what Carl wrote about in the book. But that was really, it was a turning point for me. And I, I tell that story more so that, you know, the fundamentals, regardless of how big the org chart is, it really does go down to that simple offering and that simple engagement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hear that. That's fascinating. And then, of course, you've built from there. So to my next question for you, you know, I'm a, a big um, student of really moving, especially someone like myself. My background is in education. And so I'm really about delivering content. I'm about getting to understand and know people and helping to improve their lives. That's what drives mm -hmm. me. That's what makes me want to get up every day and really make a difference in the world. And I pivoted a number of years ago into coaching really as an extension of the same concept. You know, how can right. I improve people's quality of life? And so for me and for many people like me who have started their own businesses, who have tried to get really good at what they do, but not necessarily have the broader, let's call it business acumen or background. So I mm. feel like as um, Michael Gerber would call it, I'm, an, I'm a technician working in the business in many cases and have to continually remind myself that if I want to become the entrepreneur to work on the business, I need to be able to make a mental shift. I need to be able to find the right balance between the two. And so you've done that. You've done that successfully. You are still a technician, right? You're still a music writer. You're still a producer. You know your craft very well. You probably could just be doing that all the time. And yet you've built a business around it. 
right? You've done a lot of things. So, so what advice would you give to somebody who's, I don't know, a car mechanic who is, you know, who's been an effective uh, construction worker, who's been an educator or, a co- you know, something like this, and they want to do something more. They want to now own their own business or they've done that. They made that transition. You know, they maybe were a real estate agent and now they open their own brokerage. So how do you advise people who are really good at the technical skills to start mm-hmm. to become more mindful and more skillful at running a business rather than wor- working just in the business? Well, it's interesting because it's a very key question and it, it very much relates to music and I would say not just entrepreneurs, but all businesses. You know, the one thing I always, I get frustrated by when I'm either looking at businesses, I'm on the investor board of uh, Angel Ventures, which is a Mexican-based firm that invests in startups. So it's you get sort of shark tank on steroids, like around a bunch of bankers. And obviously, you know, I'm, there's like the former CEO of Walmart and the head of the MIT entrepreneurial school and me, and like, I've got tattoos there with these folks, but the same challenges tend to repeat themselves. And one of the things is the concept that one person can do everything. And that's a fail. So I would say for starters, if you're somebody that says, okay, I want to start my own business, you have to have a really good look at yourself and a, and really not through an Instagram filter, but like actually through the truest light and, and purest prism you can possibly look. And that means that if you are looking at a business that where you have a creative vision for something, but you don't necessarily have that other side of your brain working in terms of infrastructure and organizational and uh, execution, you have to find a partner. That can be very tricky, but that can, I think that applies to CEOs. I mean, for the purposes of folks that watch your program and anybody in business, I see a lot of CEOs, a lot of friends of mine who really need a COO or really need an extra set of hands or someone who can free them to be who they are, which is where they will frankly generate either the most revenue or the most productivity or the greatest sense of leadership. And, you know, recently I saw this, you know, there was this interview and it's a pretty famed Warren Buffett and Bill Gates talking about Warren Buffett's calendar and how there's nothing in it. And I think any great CEO has free time on demand, which seems kind of weird. But the truth is, is that if you're a great CEO, the people that work for you, and certainly I feel the people that work on my team are so good that it affords me that freedom. So in order to get to scale, to start from the beginning, you have to know who you are and know, even if you don't make them your business partner, you have to know who you need to tap into, deploy, get advice from, and start with your own board of directors of people that have complementary skills to you. And from there, you're going to have a much truer sense of how you get from point A to point B to point C, again, with the understanding that the horizon is clear in terms of the direction that you want your venture to go. Nice. So let's stay with the first part of what you were talking about, the the need to find a a complementary partner or individuals who can round out the picture, if you will, and help you focus on your strengths, which is something I'm a huge believer in, whether it's through delegation, whether it's through bringing people on your team. Is there anything in particular that you look for, Billy, when you're trying to find somebody besides obviously the skill set that they have? Right. Is there anything else from from a personality standpoint, from a chemistry standpoint, that's top of mind for you? I mean, I would say, as first of all, 
you chemistry is chemistry. So you're going to meet people and you can have great chemistry with them. And, and you can sometimes convince yourself on the basis of that chemistry that it'll work out just because you like them so much. That's one sand trap uh, on the course. I think if you, at the start, are really honest with yourself about what your skills are, where your strengths lie, and where you need help, then you have to ask the right questions to other people that also, in some ways, make you a bit vulnerable. I'll give you an example. I have a lawyer that I've worked with for 20 years. His name is Gary Stiffelman. He, in the music industry, um, Gary has represented pretty much a who's who of talent from Michael Jackson and Prince and Justin Timberlake and Lady Gaga and Eminem. And I could go through the list and it's like everybody. And Gary is, I've known him so long. I know him, his family, and he's like, he is one of the most wonderful people, but he is an incredibly tough negotiator. You don't get to that altitude if you're not. In the beginning, working with him, I needed somebody tougher because at that stage of my career, I was doing well, but you're afraid. In the music industry, which is very, everything is always a sort of, what did you do for me lately? And you are, and at that time in my career, and I didn't have the maturity that I have now, I was still, you still don't believe the success in some respects, even when you have it, or worse, you believe it so much that you think it will last forever and make really foolish decisions, which frankly is more the majority, unfortunately, which is why the music business, the road in and out of the music business has bankruptcies all over the side of it. So what I looked for in an advocate is I needed a truth teller, somebody who would be tough for me and who would be able to immediately sober the conversation with people who I had chemistry with. But when it came down to it, there was the, you know, the big gorilla in the room that said, okay, I know that you love Billy and he loves you, but that doesn't mean you can take advantage. Now, over the course of a couple of decades, the training wheels come off for me and I, I become a better and better advocate for myself and then ultimately for other people. But that really symbolized one of the healthiest partnerships in, in my career. And by the way, Gary remains uh, both my lawyer and one of my best friends. But in the beginning, it was scary. I needed that counterbalance. I needed that weight. Sure. Um, so that I think that's really what it's about for, for anybody. And I think that these lessons apply inside the org chart. In fact, I know they do as much as they apply to an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, that's a very powerful response. And, and I think that what I'm hearing is sort of like a balance between obviously you have to have chemistry. It's got to work. You got to be able to show up and, and interact with somebody and feel like they get you and you get them. But at the end of the day, they're there to serve a particular purpose. They're there to serve a particular role for you. And the role has to be what's driving the relationship at the end of the day, if it's a business relationship, right? right? Can they deliver on what you need them to deliver for or on? Right. And so in this case, you needed somebody who would negotiate for you and really put your needs and interests front and center regarding whoever you were interacting with, whatever deal you wanted to negotiate, mm -hmm. that had to be the primary goal. And if you had the chemistry or the fact that you had the chemistry was a bonus and maybe even a critical second component, but he needed to be able to deliver. And, uh, well, and, yeah. and, and part of that, just to, to finalize this, is that with the people that run with you, that loyalty is not something, it's important to have that loyalty but it's not something that you just go to people and say, 
uh, I demand your loyalty immediately. That's a earned. Sure. You have to. That's a earn out. But when you do have that, those relationships are even more important. Every component of of your organization, whether it's a two people in a in a business or ten people or a thousand people, and it's it's symbiotic. It 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 once it starts, it, it and that's frankly one of the things that we're seeing now in a lot of industries that are transitioning or going through hard times. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Apple. Um, is that Apple is really a very t- for a huge company, it's a very tight knit community. So looking at when there is a challenge to the business, a bumps to the road, like we just saw this thirty percent drop in stock on Apple this week. I I bet on Apple because I believe in the in the tight knit community that has been built over the course of decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So let's stay in the music industry. We I listed at the beginning so many artists that you've had the opportunity to work with. And I'm sure besides for their talent, there's been a lot of inspiration, a lot of things that you've picked up over the years that have helped you develop into who you are. And I'm just curious, is there any vignette, any underlying theme perhaps, or underlying current of, of con- something that consistent within your interactions that um, you know would add value to our conversation, give us a little bit of inspiration? I had a, one of the most profound conversations I had. I was really young. I had been completely taken advantage of by a, a manager who was a con artist. I mean, the music business, it, if you're a bartender and your girlfriend sings and an A&R guy walks in and says, hey, you're a really good singer. Do you have a manager? This is the only business in the world where the bartender can write his name down and his phone number and uh, and say, uh, I'm her manager. And with no qualifications at all, all of a sudden he's manager. So I had been through a really tough thing. Early, this is early. I was still in Philly. and. Uh, Grover Washington Jr., who has since passed away, is, I mean, of the classic records, just the two of us, um, Mr. Magic, he, he was really the first crossover jazz artist to have commercial success, an amazing guy, um, family guy, and he really mentored me, especially when I went through that. I was like, I'm going to quit the business. I don't know what I'm doing. I went to his house, and he sat down with me, and he was going to tell me the secret of success in music and like what it meant to be successful. And so I was prepared for this kind of really cool portrait of private planes and like cash and all kinds of stuff. And he just sat down with me and his wife was there and was like, Billy, success in music is the ability to continue. And it was the least sexy lesson I ever got in my whole life, but it, it rings true to me every day. It is, there's no end game if you love what you do. And that, it took me a minute to figure out how deep that was. But once I figured it out, it, it has helped me manage through a whole variety of storms, not the least of which usually started with my impatience because I'm, I'm an impatient, ambitious guy. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and the idea of having a mentor, I think, is really important for for all of us, you know, no matter what industry we're in. Uh, I write about this in my book, Becoming the New Boss, quite a bit. I mean, there's coaching and then there's mentoring, and they're really not the right. same. You know, a coach's role is to ask the right questions, to get a client to think, to probe, create awareness, and then accountability. Mm-hmm. But a mentor is going to be somebody who's walked a mile in your shoes or the shoes you want to mm-hmm. be walking in as well, right. and really provide the insight. And to have somebody who's made such an impact that's a lasting impact for you and continues to inspire you in your work. That's, that's gold. 
And that's, yeah. you know, that's a super powerful thing. So let's stay on that idea then, because my next question actually ties in nicely to where you were going with it. It's, it may or may not be the same answer at this point, probably not. But if you had an hour to spend with somebody who you could never otherwise meet, who would that person be and why? I think I would have loved the opportunity to spend an hour with Nelson Mandela. Mm. I thought about this and obviously, you know, there's some people that they'd say, I want to like jam with Jimi Hendrix or, (laughs) but I think that the idea of endurance in the heart of adversity is this is what our life experience is about. We're all enduring something. We are all like resilience is I'd say probably if you could pick something that you get to apply to yourself. Like if someone said to me, here's a, here's a characteristic, a personality trait that you get and you could pick one, I think I would pick resilience because resilience is the birthplace of strength and all kinds of other things. Sure. And I feel like the patience and the, the power of Nelson Mandela's resilience and spirit, I think it's unparalleled in terms of forgiveness stamina, belief systems. The guy was not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But I think to have that kind of core strength on a in such terrible circumstances and then to triumph after all that time. I mean, someone's in jail for decades to then become the leader of the country that put him in that box and to maintain a sense of balance within just within at least the majority of your heart is, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's an indescribable human uh, victory. So I would kill to spend time just sitting and absorbing that. Maybe yeah. not kill, but you get my point. I do. Very, very powerful. And so let's, let's actually go a little further. I mean, I'd love to talk about Nelson Mandela and more because, because in addition to resilience and, and, uh, and, and endurance, he also was a person of purpose. You know, he obviously had yeah. a clear goal and, and it was more than self. You know, he was really interested right. in helping his people. And I'm, I, I know that you have a lot of that in you as well. And uh, you're involved a lot in philanthropic work. So tell me a little bit about, you know, a lot of people, thankfully, they're very successful. They know that at the end of the day, their work is just a piece of who they are. They want to be able to give and they want to be able to give in a way that really makes an impact. So talk a little bit about Maybe not, I mean, you could talk about the specifics of what, what you're involved with, but I'm more interested, frankly, in the motivation and what do you look for in an organization if you want to get involved, whether it's on their board. Uh, I know that there's one organization, Autism Speaks, that we've talked about that, that you are very involved with and uh, a wonderful organization. I've gotten a chance to be at their gala and really get a little bit of a peek into their, to their work. But, but how do you uh, identify, because you're limited in time as we all are, which organizations you want to be involved with and, uh, and, and what it is about them that really speaks to you? Well, I would say to anybody, it is think of it as a, a vitamin in your life to be involved in doing any kind of charity work you can around a cause or a mission that speaks to you and your life. So in my case, I have two sons that are on the autism spectrum. So that's meaningful to me. I helped found uh, the Rima Hortman Foundation, which is about grants for artists and uh, living grants for people with cancer who don't have family members around them while they're going through treatment. Those are things that speak to my life that are meaningful. I think it's really key to find 
either to if you have a friend that's going through something and there's a charity and you love them and you jump on board with them and thanks for coming to the event, by the way, that's one way. But really to search and say, this is what's important to me. I think it helps your business. Frankly, I think it's great to create meaningful relationships. You're going to immediately be ensconced in a discussion and community of people that have similar beliefs as you do, and you find common ground. And it's it's good for the people that work for you to know that this is a part of your life. It's a great example for your kids. But honestly, it's it's uh, I think that I am often surprised by those who do nothing in terms of charity. It doesn't take a lot and it's 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 incredibly enriching. I know that sounds corny, but I don't know any I don't know a single great leader, a single great success, and a single great CEO that doesn't do it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, to me, charity and giving is really, I mean, it's it's a religious belief. It's a part of 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 who I identify with or what I identify with. Yeah. And I know it's the same for you as well. And so I think I think for most folks, there is not only a desire to feel good and to contribute, but it's really sort of rounding out who we are as people, who we are as citizens, yeah. who we are as members of a religious group, et cetera. And it gives us the core sense of 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 achievement that nothing in our bank account could do. So for That's me, right. it's a very powerful way to end this segment of our conversation. And so now we're going to transition to rapid fire. And in this segment, we keep it nice and short, a little bit more of a fun look into your world. And so I hope that this one is a good start here. In full disclosure, we had a little sun creep there in the back window. So Billy, thank you for relocating for us. So the first question is, what is the worst song you've ever written? The worst song I ever wrote was the first hit I ever had. (laughs) <laughs> which is which is actually awesome because it was the chorus of the song was one and one is two, two is me and you, two plus one is three, three is family. That was the chorus. And I didn't even know that it was a hit in the UK. It was sung by an American artist named Dana Dawson. It was broke in the UK, was signed by EMI in France, which ultimately is where I went on to to join the board of that company. And at the time I was on the verge of bankruptcy. And uh, I didn't even know the song was a hit when it happened. So it was the best, worst song I ever wrote. You couldn't follow yourself on Twitter at the time to find out what was trending. Fortunately, there was no Twitter. I understand. I can imagine. (laughs) An instrument you would like to have learned but haven't yet? I would say all of the instruments that I play. (laughs) I play them all like, uh, I mean, I'm a self-taught player. So I feel like I would I wish I could go back and be more skilled. I would have to say saxophone. Okay. Saxophone. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty universal one. I think a lot of people, you know, it, I find it in a yeah. variety of genres and it's a really nice piece. Something that most people don't know about you. I'm a pretty much an introvert. Interesting. So am I. You know, there's, there's a, I have four kids. My 11-year-old daughter and I are, are have a similar energy about this. I love people and I love engaging with people. She was telling me there's two types of ways to to energize and extroverts get energy from being among lots of people and introverts get energy by retreating to a private space and reading or whatever. I'm much more uh, naturally an introvert, which if, you know, even in talking to me, I love people, but I think that's most people don't know that. Got it. And the last one, since I know you've spent a lot of your time 
between Philadelphia and I believe you currently live in Connecticut. So the best yeah. part about living in the Northeast? The change of seasons, the multicultural landscape, the fact that you have a whole different set of sensory input every day of the week. I love it. And not to take away from my friends in California, but I like the change of seasons. Nice. So how can people connect with you? Tell them a little bit more where they can find you and learn more about what you're doing. I'm on Twitter. Anything on social media, I really tend to stick to the main pillars of my life. I'm very transparent about that. I'm a family person. I do philanthropic work for, for Autism Speaks and in the autism community. Obviously, I'm obsessed with music. I'm very involved in politics. Actually, as someone that's, I consider myself more of a Democrat, but I have really incredibly rich relationships with friends of mine who I, I disagree with politically. I like a, a healthy debate. I'm not an absolutist, but they'll find politics. Those are the things that I'm engaged in online. And uh, that's just Billy Man is my Twitter handle. I think there's a website, there's um, a Facebook page that I'm trying to get more active with. But ultimately, I really like to speak through the artists I work with and the projects I work on. Nice. And so leave us, please, Billy. You've given us so much. But uh, I do need to ask you for one final life lesson to cap off our conversation. So I've run the New York Marathon three times. It was graceful. Thank you. It wasn't the most graceful running experience for a big guy, but I was always taken back at the end of the marathon. The first thing that other runners would ask, and the same question every time, every time I did it, which was, if I, I finished the marathon, they'd say, "Well, what was your time?" And I, I was always kind of offended by it because, I mean, it's not a surprise to anybody that I didn't win it. So, <laughs> it's like, how relevant is the time? And why would that be the first question that every single person asked me? And I think that that is what's wrong with a lot of things in the world we're living. I think it's what's wrong with businesses. I think it's what's wrong with this, uh, our, you know, culture of instant gratification. And I wish that somebody had asked me, you know, what was your favorite part? Because the whole point of the marathon for me, one is the discipline Two was like, I like doing it and I wanted to set the goal for myself. But really it was like, I got to run through every magnificent neighborhood in New York City, see all kinds of people and cultures. It was just a a rich experience. And I think that we are so focused on what do you have and what is your time and what car do you drive? And, you know, did you meet your KPIs or your bonus or whatever, that we're losing some of the enjoyment in the things that frankly we're so focused on what our time is that we don't see the beautiful neighborhoods in New York or in our lives. We don't touch with the rich cultures that are around us. We, we drive past colors we don't notice and people we don't ask how they're doing to. And I, I took away from the marathon as the most profound victory, my own pledge to say, asking people what their time is about anything that they achieve is a surefire way to fail. So I would just tell people, don't look around at how other people are running their race or what their time is. Just like run your own race and and know that you're going to go in your own time. Beautiful. That's It reminds me of a, of a chapter in my book and something I've written about. Basically, enjoy the journey, not the destination. Actually, it's right. not in the book. It's what I wrote about after the book. Because here I thought that when I finally finished the book, I'd have all of this euphoric 
excitement that I finally did it. And then I realized that, you know, it was nice. It was great, but I enjoyed the journey just as much. And there was so much about it that I learned from it. What a powerful way Mm -hmm. to end our conversation today, Billy. So thank you so very much for finding the time, making the time for this conversation. I've learned a ton. I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know you better. And I'm certainly looking forward to sharing this conversation with our audience. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day now. All right, you too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget, social media junkies, please share this recording with your networks and tag me as well. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Naftali Hoff and on Twitter at Impactful Coach. 